Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's check in on my co hosts from the East Coast. First up, Dave, the big secret lair spender, Alcadron. How was your week? <laughs> my week was pretty good. I had a good weekend, got to relax a little bit, got to hang out with a person that I really love but do not see often. Good. It's always good. It's awesome. Apologies for canceling the stream again on Saturday. That was a mess. Oh, uh, no, 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 not at all. You got to do what you got to do. Is it, did, did you did you handle the, the problem? Is your car, car working all right? <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I ended up getting it late Sunday afternoon, but it was absolutely ridiculous. So, <sighs> well, as long it's as frustrating. It's... But it's done. It is done. It did not cost us an arm and a leg. We didn't have to tow it anywhere. It's just done. Yes. I like that we yeah. all had some issue with our car in the last week. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. I did feel a little better when, when Dave said that. It's great. <laughs> so that is the voice of our resident PDH PhD. Liam, what was your car trouble? Uh, yeah, my car trouble was uh, dealing with emissions inspections. So so nothing as bad as you or, or, or Dave's uh, breakdowns. But mm-hmm. the, the emissions inspection arrived several weeks after the due date, like the, the inspection notice. So I got to go have a nice conversation with the lovely gentleman at the inspection station. <laughs> and when they asked if I had proof of it arriving late, I showed them my USPS informed delivery uh, and they waived all of the late fees, which was amazing. So oh, that is nice. If, so nice. if um, you learn anything from this, it's sign up for the USPS informed delivery because turns out it's pretty good. Yeah, it'll save you some bucks. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it's literally like every day that you are going to receive mail, they have scans of all of the front of every letter or, or a piece of mail. And if there's packages, they'll tack on the tracking numbers. And it's all delivered conveniently into email or text, whichever you prefer. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I usually go online to like, you know, have them text me tracking updates or whatever. But this sounds fairly convenient. Oh, it's so nice. Because like it, they'll audit. Because like if you have an account, right? They 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 ask for your address to tie to the account. So like if someone sends mm-hmm. you a package, you don't even need that person to send you the tracking number. But once the tracking number goes live and is connected to your address at the end of the destination, they'll automatically connect it for you. Oh it's wow! Beautiful. So there's like no extra steps. You just yeah. sign up and. Oh yeah. Cool. It's wonderful. It's it's. Yeah. As someone who's living in an apartment, it's great. Yeah, I imagine so. I yeah. guess they got to do. They got to offer some neat perks for constantly raising their prices. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do you got for us this week? Anything cool? Did Magic go hip hop on us or what? Oh my goodness, Magic is continuing <laughs> down the train. Um, I don't, I don't have an hour long segment like I did two weeks ago, or, or maybe that was last week. I'm not sure, but I do want to talk Secret Lair for just a quick moment. Sure. This week in Magic, the October Super Drive is, yeah, Super Drive. That's what it feels like. A uh, Super Drop is live, <laughs> so you can go check that out. I suppose if Secret Lair is your thing. A couple of notes is. This is the first time we're getting a foil medallion, the jet medallion. Uh, it is, unfortunately, in the Post Malone secret layer, so don't mm-hmm. mind me gritting my teeth wah, at that. Wah. There is a cool-looking carrion feeder and wood elves, I guess, in the secret layers. Depends if uh, that's your art style of choice. I think the carrion feeder is in the Junji Iro, and the wood elves is in the uh, weirdest pets 
it's borderless art, so if that's your jam, uh, the art, the art in general is just not my style. Sure. Yeah, you're not a big uh, body horror person anyway, right? No, I love horror, but I cannot stand body horror. Yeah. So those two, for sure, are not my style. <laughs> and then in terms of count, uh, that puts us at 14 drops in October alone, 57 oh. for the year, counting the November and December <laughs> astrology drops that we know about. We are only, I think it's, the count is 33 weeks into the year, give a few, give or take a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And we definitely still have a secret varsary super drop and extra life drop. And to add on to that, an hour ago, uh, Magic the Gathering tweeted, our monthly announcement day is tomorrow, and we've got some exciting news to share. We'll be talking oh, about God. extra life, <laughs> uh, jump cut 22, and other updates you, want, you won't want to miss. Uh, so that's oh, 2.30 p.m., 5.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Pacific on Thursday. You're probably li- listening to this on Friday or Saturday. So to those of you yeah. in the future, this has already happened. I'm still trying to catch up on all their exciting news from like six months ago. Dude, me too. Yeah. For, I for did context, about... we oh, record this on Tuesday evenings. Mm-hmm. But today's no, today's Wednesday. Wednesday. Today's Wednesday, yes. Yeah, I had a school thing on Tuesday, so Probably we had to make Wednesday. I'm sorry, it's my fault. I did see, I'm not a huge Secret Layer fan, but they, I did see, I guess they're doing like a Advent Calendar Booster singles yes. something, and I'm, I'm, I'm slightly interested in that. Early in November, there will be a Secret Layer that goes live on the Secret Layer website. It's only going to be for a couple of days, and it's only while supplies last, because it is going to have a specific number printed. Mm-hmm. But they are guaranteeing delivery by December 1st. <laughs> you gotcha. Um, <laughs> in their it, words. It's... <laughs> it, it, it's it's like 150 bucks and it's 30 cards. I'm unsure if it is arriving all at once or if it is 30 individual shipments, which sounds horrific. Right. And each card, the reason I say that is because each card is supposed to come in its own little booster style slip like your, your pre-release mm-hmm. promos do, but uh, not clear plastic. Uh, it'll be op- obfuscated because each card is guaranteed to be a non-foil with like a 30% chance of being foil instead. I don't know. It sounds awful. So I they would, are the I cards would, themselves are randomized. Yes. Is it, oh, I didn't know. I thought it was like the same card. Yeah, like, like well, no, no. So, so it's the same 30 cards. So when you order that drop, everyone, you will receive 30 cards. The question okay, is which okay. ones are foil? Mm, because it's okay. not, it's not, you, it's not you don't order the drop as all non-foil or all foil. It's default all non-foil, with every card having a thirty percent chance of being foil. So there is you the sti- get what you get. there is the statistical anomaly of people receiving all non-foil or all foil. Right. With all foil being a much bigger anomaly, but I would much rather just purchase something like that at all non-foil. But in addition, you said it's in addition to 30, that, thirty cards. It's thirty cards. Thirty cards. Yeah, it's like an advent there. calendar. You're supposed to open one a day, but apparently I haven't looked too deep into it. But I heard goldfish talking about it there's things like chrome moxes in there yeah. like there's a, there's you're just there's just bought like just an, spending the 150 bucks you're making your money back yeah much. there's like an old border chrome mox an old border elspeth knight errant there's a necropotence yeah. and a uh, shark typhoon in the style of the movie posters they're just okay so we figured out secret layer styles we have we have figured out exactly what I'm getting my father for Christmas. Good. There you go. Yep. Um, I just I just did a quick calculation. The odds that every single one of these is foil, if each one has a thirty percent chance, is approximately uh, two times ten to the negative fourteenth 
percent. Yeah. So it sounds so, like if they're uh, only printing a couple thousand, great. none of them will be yeah. foil. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But this is Wizards who prints cards upside down and backwards and inside out. So yeah, I think I think that means one out of every uh, two quintillion. I, yeah, oh. I, yeah, that okay. sounds awful. Um, I like those odds. Moving, <laughs> moving on from Seiko and nonsense. Uh, I discovered Hammer Time in Modern this week. Yeah, I. Saw this in the show notes, and I had yeah. to take a double take. I need details. Yeah, so I, I was... also need information. <laughs> so I was uh, visiting my friends, and they were encouraging me to build decks for other formats beyond Papa because I had built my Papa boxes and convinced them all to build some Papa decks, and then they mm-hmm. said it was time that I built some of their favorite formats. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a That's fair totally trade. I'm like, that sounds like a fair trade. My only concern is my formats cost twenty dollars, and theirs don't. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. Uh, so I've been tasked with coming up with a Canadian Highlander deck, a modern deck, and a Pioneer deck. And the Highlander deck, I've gotten permission to just proxy it, which is good because yeah, because that yeah. that can get kind of cra- kind of crazy well, on the on I, the finances. Know, yeah, you know, I don't mind buying all of the cards that are less than a dollar, but sure. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sitting here buying dual lands. That's not happening. So yeah, so I I have decided to build not red plus one plus one counters. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'm doing in that uh, format. What are you gonna do in Pioneer? I'm still looking, um, but there apparently is... apparently there's a pretty good elementals deck in Pioneer <laughs> not, with Risen Reef. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I am looking at a Pioneer version of Hammer Time. The deck is definitely weaker and not on the tier list, but it does sort of kind of exist and people are trying to figure it out. Okay. But I am definitely building Hammer Time in Modern because as I was going through deck lists, I discovered that there were two decks that ran four of Ornithopter in their main list. And that was mm-hmm. Modern Affinity and Modern Hammer Time. Yep. And then I looked at recent tournament results and saw that Hammer Time did significantly better than Affinity. So I went with that oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, because Hammer Time's been top tier for a little while i think last year it was like one of the best decks in the format if not the best yeah for a little i while. i um had no idea this deck existed but uh it means i'm building it now yeah it's wild i've watched a couple streams and i listen to other mtg podcasts and the, you know talk about it or whatever and it's pretty crazy pretty sounds hella fun yeah yep sure does so that's that's well, cool that was a nice little magic. recap of the week yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I did want to put, we're going to start putting this little uh, section in here before we get to the main topic. As any good professional podcast should do, we are going to do a little bit of housekeeping where we go over the, the regular stuff. It won't take too long, but first things first, we want to so we want to get the word out there that we have a Patreon. Your favorite PDH podcast now has a Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. We're working on stuff like... Um, behind-the-scenes contents for patrons, like the pre-show we recorded could be anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour each week. We just record whatever we talk about before we we record the actual show and throw it up there. We're going to do patrons get a special, like, input on the shows we create, whether it's Q&As, you know, they can pick the show topic at a certain level. You know, there's even an option to, like, be a guest on the show or sit in on an interview that we do in the future. So that's pretty cool. And then... My mind's always kind of running around what kind of what kind of merch we can make. So, you know, anything like stickers, playmats, deck boxes, you know, anything you guys can think of, throw the idea at us, see what we can do, and that'll definitely be an option for the patrons as well. 
And then we'll probably do giveaways and stuff like that too. But it, it's all sort of a work in progress. And we'd love to hear, get feedback on it too. If there's something that, that you'd like to see in there, just let us know. And then down below, when you're done listening to this episode, in the episode details, there will be a link to a Survey Monkey survey, sort of a how are we doing. We're at episode 20 now. It feels like we just started like last week. It feels like we just did the first one, but we're up to 20 now. <laughs> and we just sort of want to get a state of the uh, podcast sort of survey. Get some answers from you. It's only like nine and a half questions because <laughs> one of them's not mandatory. It's kind of silly. So throw your ideas on there. It's all anonymous. Just uh, leave us some feedback and we'd love to hear from you. So that's all I got for housekeeping. What do you guys think? If you want to give us some feedback that isn't anonymous, go blow up Liam's Twitter and Brad's Twitter. Yes, do that. I'm all about that. Yep, I have no problems muting people, so absolutely do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, the, the the survey especially will help us figure out like what kinds of things that you want to see more of, and what kinds of things you uh, what what directions we should be taking this now that we are uh, a little bit more established in what it is we're doing. Yep. Help us help us determine the future of our gig. Yep. And you know, it's recently come to light that we were we were savagely called out by the Hex Drinkers. So oh, yeah. you know, if you guys want to side with us a little bit, that'd be okay. I'm not trying to you know pull any weight here or anything like that, but. So yeah, you know that that, that know, happened. I'm going to be savage yeah. back because I know we were called out on something, but I've I've not been bothered to go look on what the call <laughs> out was. Oof, oof. Okay, yeah. here's here's the here's the TLDR. <laughs> uh, okay. Got it. In their podcast, they said, "I don't want to start any beef," and then they started beef. And then they started. <laughs> yeah. They so uh, I don't want to start any beef, but but. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we're gonna bring him back on the show and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna beef it's gonna we're be gonna hash it we're gonna hash beef it out uh, it's got it's the only it's the only way yeah it's the only way and that is in oh, the oh. newest house of commons episode excellent podcast by the way okay. you should listen to it tremendous i i love those guys they're so good yeah. at talking about they TDH. are very good at talking about what they play in decks and stuff okay i will go Tre that. tremendous yeah it's good stuff all right so now housekeeping and trash talking is out of the way <laughs> All right, we're gonna our our main topic for today is we got a listener question uh, a while ago from uh, beloved listener Findhorn Brownie, and uh, Brownie asks approximately this is paraphrased. Uh, Brownie is asking what we consider to be the staples of the PDH format, and you know we we do a lot of listener questions like at the end of the episode, like you know we'll the end of this episode we'll have a couple like here's some questions, here's our thoughts, and like th things that we can do in a pretty quick kind of five minute sort of way. This one, I, I and my co-hosts sort of collectively decided that we did not want to try and answer this question <laughs> in five minutes at the end of an episode because yeah, for sure. uh, there, are, there are rants to be had, there is anger <laughs> to be vented, so we, we, need to, we really need an entire episode to do this. And so that is what our – today's entire episode is dedicated to discussing staples of PDH, and I will uh, – the the rant that is coming it's not it's not here yet uh we're we're going to we're going to pump the brakes on the rant but the the rant yeah come comes about from this this question gets asked sort of with some frequency like especially on reddit scarecrow yeah, sure. and and Ruffigan or I are on the the mods on the the subreddit and uh you know every couple months someone relatively newish to pdh will show up and be like tell me what the staples are so i can build a good deck and every <laughs> single time we have the same sort of answer like this is not something that you can like explain you can't do a deep dive in response to this reddit post about like why this is such a difficult question to ask so we are, are 
a yeah. difficult question to answer. So we usually just do like, well, it's not really like that, but okay, here are the staples. <laughs> like this yeah. is what you came here for. <laughs> this is this is the answer, but like, uh, yeah. there's more to this story. <laughs> like, and that's kind of what this whole episode is going to be too. It's not just going to be like, oh, we're in the main topic, so let's just list a bunch of cards that we think are staples. Like, no, we're going to give our own personal definition. We'll list some cards. We'll go through, through some other stuff for, as as well. And we'll rant. And, and there'll be some rants. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm here for. There's, there'll be some people dying angry. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is exactly what I'm here for. Good. Um. So, uh, let's let's kick things off. Yeah. Brad, tell me what is a staple? What is a staple? A staple would be a card that, or a cycle of cards, collection of cards, whatever you want to call it, that a format or a deck cannot do without i think is is a pretty straightforward way to put it where if you're not running x people are going to ask you why you are not running that card because it's a quote-unquote staple that, that's that been my experience with staples being a big time 60 card popper player being a little bit of a standard player back in the day all the way back to type two and this and that you know it was always oh well where is this card in your deck that's a staple why isn't it in there like I think everyone has a little different definition of what a staple is, but I, I think at its roots, a staple is just cards that are, are perceived to be absolutely essential in most decks, if not an entire format. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, my personal definition is pretty similar to that. It strays a little bit. I'm more vague or ambiguous about it. I kind of think staples are the best cards and their specific colors because the format specifically pdh is so wide open but cards in their colors that are relevant in in any scenario not not very specific scenarios you know cards that you'll miss them if they're not in your deck you feel wrong if you're not playing them or you never get to cast them you know like on the opposite end of that let's take like spider silk armor for example awesome green card you know it's i've lost to it i've lost the decks playing the card it's pretty much a staple in any deck that runs green and has creatures, but it's not good for other decks. You know, it's not good in Voltron. It's not good for control decks, that sort of thing. Colors like red and green specifically, they have a lot of staples in 1v1 formats, 60-card formats, but those aren't as universal in, like, a commons-only multiplayer format, like PDC, 1v1, PDH, that sort of thing. It's a, hmm, it's a tough transition for me personally, coming from the 60 card popper background where I was so like entrenched in that format, both competitively, uh, casually, that sort of thing. Cause it's hard to bridge that gap between, Oh, I have a single mountain in my deck. Then I need four lightning bolts, <laughs> you know? Oh, there might be <laughs> a graveyard deck in the format. Well, I better build my deck with at least three relic of progenitus like now relic is, is a good card. I mean, across the board is a good card, but you know, things like lightning bolts, I, I barely play them in PDH. It's still good, but it's way better in multiples against one opponent. So that's where I sort of struggle with the idea of staples in Popper Commander is coming from that background where it just had to be a certain way regardless of what you were playing. Even if it was a completely off-the-wall brew, if you had mountains, you were probably playing Lightning Bolt. That's just all there is to it. But... I wouldn't put Lightning Bolt in the top 10 or 15 of red staples in our format. So 
That's it might of, make top 15 for me. I don't know. It, it might, just because of its power level. But it's one of those that I would not feel bad cutting for something else. Yeah. And to me, that's not that's not a staple. Staples, you feel bad for cutting. You always <laughs> want to play them. You always want to draw them, that sort of thing. I so like that's it. That's kind of the way I look at it. Hopefully that made sense. I, I, I was trying to think of yeah. it from both sides of the coin, you know, the 60-card side, the 100-card side, and it's different. It's surprisingly different. The more I, I thought about it, the the more I realized how different it actually is. I dig it. What, what do you think, Liam? What is a staple? Yeah, so uh, I have a lot more straightforward definition of a staple. No offense, Brad. Uh, no, 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 you're good. <laughs> a staple to me is a card that's going to fall into one of two categories. The first category is that they are definitively the best card in the color, category, card type, etc. Many people, in my opinion, like to define staples this way uh, as cards that they would automatically include in a deck based on the color or strategy uh, that they're going for. So, you know, a, a hyper staple would be something like Rhystic Study, which ended up getting it banned in PDH. But, uh, you know, other staples might include Soul Sisters or Reckless Fireweaver, uh, depending on the strategy that you're going for, right? The way that I like to define a staple and, and, and this is my preferred method of finding a staple, is the cards that you play in most, if not all, of your decks that may not necessarily be the most powerful in terms of magical PDH, uh, but they curate the way that you want to play. So often these cards, often they are powerful, right? They, these cards will be very strong. A lot of people like to play with strong cards, whether or not they admit it. But <laughs> your staples can also range in power level as long as they're creating the kinds of games you want to play. So for instance, when you think of the PDH pals, right? They have five cards that are just <laughs> staples in all of the decks. They're, they're literally in all of the deck. That would be a staple for that play group. I think staple needs to not be defined... <laughs> People like to try and define it so rigidly, but honestly, in a yeah. game as expansive and different as Magic is, even in a single format, staple can't really be defined rigid, as, as, as rigid as people might want it to be. And that's just my personal opinion. I love it. Yeah. I love both of your answers, because both of your answers have elements that I am going to call back to whilst I am <laughs> ranting. So Beautiful. rant away, Dave. That was really well done. <laughs> okay, here's we're all part well, of the rant. I love it. The whole page. Uh, and a half everyone, this is, right, Dave, this is this is got? our rant, comrade. <laughs> so for, I'm going to define it first. I think, sure. in my mind, a staple is a card that is just sort of generically good enough within the format. Like I I don't I don't think about like decks with or I don't think about staples within the context of a certain deck. I think about staples as within the context of a format. But within that format, staples are cards that are generically good enough that you just sort of always put them in the deck when you can. Sure. There's obviously going to be some exceptions. You know, don't put Bonder's Ornament into your deck where your, your Kev Walker illustration tribal deck. Like, <laughs> if you don't want to have the Bonder's Ornament in there because it wasn't illustrated by Kev Walker, like, that's fine. But, like... If you are building decks for mechanics rather than flavor, then a staple is a card that should be in your deck if you are allowed yep. to play it. So it's a pretty simple definition. And then when I try to put this definition into the context of PDH, I run into a big problem, which is where the rant begins. In our format, in PDH, we have this sort of unique situation where the commanders we run are basically uh, one full rarity power level above the entire rest of the deck. Mm -hmm. So you always have these decks that are 99, like 
typically lower powered, lower impact common cards. And then there's one card that is higher impact, higher rarity, just a more powerful card. And that that's the one that you always have access to. So you, you pretty consistently end up in games where the commander needs to pull a lot of weight for you. In EDH, you can get away with having like because you can f just fill your deck with like high power, high impact mythics and rares, you can you can just fill your deck with cyclonic rifts and e-witnesses e and just put like a generic commander. Like the commander will draw me cards maybe or something. I don't I don't really care if it's in play or not. If it's there, mm -hmm. great. If not, whatever. My deck is full of super powered cards and like those are the things that are sort of like staples. Psych rift and e-wit I think are staples of EDH. If you if you're playing a green deck, you probably have e-wit. If you're playing a blue deck, you probably have Psych Rift, right? And that's fine. But like, nobody look at my green and blue EDH deck. Please. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't look at his Kev Walker tribal deck. Yeah. It doesn't have Psych Rift. <laughs> but I I don't think that this is a thing in PDH. I think that because our commanders have to pull so much of this weight, we have to lean on them much more heavily than the EDH format then you have to in the EDH format. Like you, I think it's possible to build a, here's a generic commander that does something, I don't really care, and here's a pile of generically good cards of those colors. I think you can build that in PDH. I've, I've actually, I've seen someone build this with Azra Oddsmaker, uh, a friend of mine, shout out to Corrigan. I think it was Corrigan. I might be wrong. Someone built an Azra Oddsmaker deck with no madness cards. <laughs> they just wanted they wanted a deck that would sometimes attack for card advantage and uh -huh. that would otherwise just be a, a removal pile, a control deck. So they were going to run all the best red and black removal spells and then some card advantage, and then Azra Oddsmaker was going to be incidental card advantage, and that was going to be their deck. And uh, that's kind of what this was. It was this generic good red-black stuff with an incidental commander, and like... My experience with this deck was that it was just really underwhelming because in PDH, you really need the, the deck that is going to do very specific things focused very specifically around a commander's strengths in PDH because the commander's uncommon and everything else is common. I think that deck is always going to be better than a generic good stuff pile that's going to do generic stuff with a generic commander. Yeah. Ryan, Popper Papa, you should check out his content as well. He's amazing. Amazing he, content, yeah. He may or may not come for me for this take, because I know that he, he always tries to build these decks where he's like, that you know, he wants his decks to function with or without the commander in play, which is very difficult to do. Definitely not how I build decks. <laughs> I go all in on the commander. He wants to do these kind of mid-rangey things like, yeah, kill my commander. I don't care. I'll beat you to death with a belligerent guest. Like, uh, right. wow. <laughs> like, and he does. It's, uh, it blows my mind. But I, I cannot do that. I think that most PDH decks, that is not typical of them. But that is my take on PDH. And uh, to bring this back to staples, I think the idea of generically good is what where staples live. And I think that the idea of specifically good in your specific context is where most PDH decks want to live. And so I think these ideas are sort of inherently clashing. For example, I think when I think of generically good removal, like staple removal cards, the removal that comes to mind is like murder and cast down and like these days now go for the throat. Mm -hmm. But like when I build an Oz or Oddsmaker deck, I'm not playing any of those cards. 
I'm going to play Murderous Compulsion. I'm going to play Dark Withering. I'm going to play Terminal Agony, which are objectively worse cards, but they're much, much better in the odds maker because of the madness synergies. Right. When I think of generic ramp spells, I want to say, you know, Kodama's Reach, Cultivate, Rampant Growth, these are really good cards. These are these are what I would consider green staples. When I build a Sigardian Paladin deck or a Shark to Crab deck, I'm not going to run any of those cards. I'm going to run Map the Wastes and New Horizons and uh, the new Kamigawa New Horizons because those are objectively worse ramp spells, but they give me counters. And so they synergize with my commander and they're going to be better cards in that deck. And when I think of generic black card draw, or like staple, staple card draw in black, I'm thinking of Knight's Whisper, Sign in Blood, Read the Bones. These are excellent cards, and I play none of them in Carter because Carter needs bodies. So I run Dusk Legion Zealot, I run Blade Juggler. I don't remember if Phyrexian Rager is in there, but it probably should be. It needs those bodies more than it needs the second card, so in that context, those cards are going to be better than... Knight's Whisper, even though Knight's Whisper is generically the better card. Mm -hmm. So the wrap-up conclusion of this rant is, if I if I ever put together a, a a huge list of all the cards that I think are generically great in PDH, if I if I make that collection of cards, I I don't have that collection of cards. I've never built that list. But if I did, and I tried to use that to build a new deck, by the time I had finished building the deck, I would have cut. 80 or 90% of these generically good cards. And I would have replaced them with cards that are generically much worse, but better for my deck's synergies. Right. Which is why when someone shows up on Reddit and says, hey, what are the staples of the format? Like, if I, if I go, murder's a good card, like, I feel like I'm lying to them. <laughs> because I don't... like it's it, it comes back to what Liam said, I think. Liam said that there's two ways people define staples. He said the best cards in the color, which is stuff like Murder. Murder is a mm -hmm. great removal card in black. But Liam also says the second way you define staples is these are the cards that end up in most of your decks. And Murder is not in most of my decks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I recognize that it's one of the best removal spells we have in black, but I don't play it in a lot of decks because I'm doing other things. Like, So it's it's difficult. And, and like Brad said, like I recognize that Lightning Bolt is a great card. But I have Fiery Temper in more of my decks than Lightning Bolt. Sure. Because context and synergies. So that's what I mean. Someone shows up on Reddit. They say, tell me what the good cards are. I say, I don't think I can do that without lying to you. It feels disingenuous to just say murder's good when I don't have it in a lot of my decks. Yeah, because you know there will be that, there will be that time where someone just runs with that and puts murder in every deck, and then they right. just feel bad half the time. Right, exactly. Like you, you, you could just take this information and be like, okay, I, I hear what Dave is saying. He's telling me to put murder in every deck. Like, no, 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 no. Right. Like, murder goes in maybe a third of the decks when you don't have other cards that synergize with your commander. Like, yeah, like your your fire your fiery temper example. You know, if if you just walked yeah. up to someone and you had a card in each hand, one was lightning bolt, one was fiery temper, and you told them to pick one, they would pick the bolt. But then if you showed them Azra odds maker. They probably wouldn't pick the bolt anymore, you know. Exactly. So it's very contextual, right? So having delivered that entire rant, that <laughs> that entire rant is my massive disclaimer for, by which I'm trying to say, we're about to tell you some cards that are really good. Do not blindly trust us. Like yes. these cards, 
you need to evaluate these cards in the context of the deck that you're building so that you can do synergistic, powerful things with your commander and not just blindly put in what you what someone on the internet said was good. Yeah, because a, a lot of times, you know, that's that's how I brew a lot of decks from scratch. Like, I'll pick a commander, usually a multicolored commander, just because, you know, whatever. I like, there's more options that way. And I will just, like, like my stupid Esper Party deck that never worked out because party's terrible at, at common <laughs> but anyway it, it's esper so i thought cool let me just you know jam some some party members in here and i will just fill the rest with good esper cards and that's just not and it was terrible like <laughs> i don't know how else to say it it just didn't work out like yes all the cards individually in white and blue and black were all very good but for that deck they didn't do anything I was always lower in life than everybody else. I never won a game. I was never ahead. I never had the tempo in my favor. Like, it was just not a good deck, despite being jam full of, quote-unquote, great Esper cards. Yeah. So, we're going to give you a list of what we of all the cards that we think are great in this format. But please, please recall our disclaimer. Yes. These do not belong in every single deck. They belong yeah, don't in go, Don't go decks. taking your decks apart today, <laughs> after you listen to this, and, and jam these in there, but... Yes. Use your discretion. Yes. Very good. Okay. Very well said. My rant is over, and I want someone else to talk. Go for it, Liam. All right. Let's start section two here for us. uh, Moving into section two, we have our top three staples. Uh, These are any card, regardless of card type, card color, card mana value, whatever. These are just what we personally think. These are probably our personal top three staples of the format. Brad, do you want to go ahead and go first? Sure, I absolutely will. My first one, and it's very weird to say, I put it in the show notes, and then I almost took it out, and then I left it in, and then I almost took it out, and then I left it in because it's true. One of my personal staples that I will try to jam into any deck that I can is Abundant Growth. It fixes my mana. It's cheap. It has ETB draw a card which is not super common at green, especially at the one-drop slot. It's an enchantment, so it's got those synergies. I think other than just me loving the card, I don't think there's anything I could say to convince anyone that it is a staple, but I do love it enough that for my, if you want to call it my battle box of PDH decks, Abundant Growth is a staple, for sure. Okay. I, I love what it does to your opponent's Felwar stones. <laughs> <laughs> I had not thought about that. very nice uh next i have pretty generic the commander rocks arcane signet commander sphere for me personally it's more so the latter because i can think of more times than not where later in the game i'm looking at my arcane signet thinking hmm i wish that was a sphere i could draw a card Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times i have them both in the same deck but if i had to choose between the two i would always go commander sphere for sure yeah i think that was pretty straightforward mana fixing goes in every every deck pretty much that that you think can afford it or you think won't take up precious space of something else and it draws you a card so that's great and then finally i'm going to kind of cheat a little bit but it's a cycle it's the new capana fetch lands i I love them if i'm playing multicolor those are going to be in there they may not be in there to fetch every single basic or whatever that they get for those colors but there's going to be at least one in there probably two usually they're they're just amazing they work with a couple cards that are going to be on the lists in this episode later. They gain life. They fill your graveyard. You can recur them. It's just, they're some of the better fetches, obviously, we've ever had at Common. So I 
felt weird not talking about at least some sort of land as a staple. So I would say for me, if I'm going to hit that category or that type of card, it's going to be the, the, the fetch lands from Nuka Pena for sure. Okay. So you defined abundant growth and then you said you like to feel a little more than arcane signet. So, uh, mm -hmm. Which uh, which Nuka Pena Fetchland is your favorite? Probably, I, I think I play the Riveteers more than any of the other ones. Okay. I, I thought for sure you were going to say uh, Obscura, because that's the one that hits Plains and Swamps, right? Yeah, that's the Esper one. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we I do, think... We I, don't, I don't talk know, about it may just It may just be because I ended up with more of those out of packs or, or whatever, <laughs> or taking decks apart. I just have more Riveteers. But I think that's always the one that... It just something about Jun colors. It just makes me feel powerful. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's my personal list anyway. Going off, you know, my my little collection of twenty four decks or what have you. If if I were to, if the format were literally only my decks, those would be my staples. Okay, I like it. What about you, Dave? What do you got? I felt like I needed to start this list with Bonders Ornament. Hey, that means I get the draw card. Yeah, right? absolutely. I I I spent 20 minutes ranting about how you shouldn't put this in every deck, and I like I kind of think that Bonders Ornament should be in almost not every single deck, but almost every single deck. Like, don't put it in yeah. your Kev Walker Illustration Tribal deck. Sure, doesn't fit <laughs> there. Doesn't fit there. Like, uh, if you if you if your deck is legitimately like flush with cards, like you are discarding to hand size consistently on turn eight, nine, ten, then you don't need Bonders Ornament. I'm looking at you, Ozra Oddsmaker. Uh, <laughs> but, like, basically every other deck, I think, should have Bonders Ornament. It's a great rock. It fixes your mana. It can draw you cards as a mana sink late game. Sometimes it draws you cards for free because your opponent plays their Bonders Ornament and then they get themselves hellbent and then they have to draw cards. And it's just, it's literally free real estate. <laughs> like, Yeah, I see that one being a surprise to most players. Like, they forget about it. Yeah. They're like, oh, oh yeah, I get to draw too. Thanks. Yeah, like it's a lot so of people sneaky, think powerful. Bonders Ornament just reads four tap draw a card, but it's a little different. A little different. <laughs> it's like different. four tap draw a card, and maybe your opponents draw as well. Like, yeah. Uh, my my second staple is actually like uh, probably five or six cards in one. I I refer to it as the Scare Tiller package. Uh, I think Scare Tiller is legitimately a powerhouse of this format. Any any deck that's not trying to go berserk speed aggro wants the consistent mana acceleration that scare tiller can give you mm -hmm. especially when scare tiller is, is paired with the snc fetches possibly the panoramas uh depending yep. on what your combination is terramorphic e-wilds and ash barons yep that is what i consider to be the scare tiller package my third staple is just sort of like a generic category for like the really good rocks like brad mentioned arcane signet commander sphere it's like five years ago, my staples in this slot were Commander Sphere and Orozco Relic. I put those cards into like all of my decks. Now I've I've been taking out Commander Spheres lately because I I'm more and more into Arcane Signet, as that one mana one mana cheaper means a lot, and I'm I'm not usually sacrificing it for the card. And uh, the other the other I think staple rock is the Gay Rock, uh, mm -hmm. Honored Heirloom. Just murks people's graveyards, just turns off certain decks. It's uh, it's an incredible yeah, card. Yeah, it really does. Yep. That's it. Hell that is list. the last of mine. I notice it's all artifacts too. Pretty yeah, nice. I feel like these are going like I, 
it feels weird saying that my like all-time top three staple is like a black card, <laughs> like because I'm not gonna <laughs> play that in a bunch of. Th- yeah, I felt yeah. like they needed to be uncommon. Sure, 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 sure. William, what do you got for us? Yeah. What is your list? So my top staple is Bonda's Ornament, just like Dave, uh, but for a different reason. I do, in fact, think you should be playing this in every single one of your decks, including your Kev Walker artist tribal deck. Um, <laughs> just just it's... send it to him. Have have him do an altar on the physical yeah, card and then play with that one. Go. Easy. You could, you could meet him in real life and have him do a physical altar. Done. You could mail it to him. I don't know if he's one of those artists that does that and have him do a physical altar. You might be able to find a Kev Walker altar sleeve and put it on your bond. Ooh, yep. I have no idea. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. I don't know. Or you could do a foil <laughs> peel and put it on your bond. I don't care what you do, Um, but it, it belongs in every deck. At least every PDH deck. Uh, also, every EDH deck I build has it, so don't worry about that. I just think it's a good cut. Yeah, so I think it, yeah, it's it's a staple for me personally because it's just really good. The next staple I have here uh, is actually two cards that share a category. I'm going to see if my co-host can guess the category. So they are Howling Golem and Arcane Denial. These two cards share almost nothing in common. I would like one of you two to try and guess that category. Everyone draws? Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like the category of cards where I'm going to do something that hurts an opponent, but I'm also going to do something that helps them. So Howling Golem has to attack or Mm -hmm. or block, but, but attacking and turning it sideways is more fun. So I get to damage an opponent and or take out a chump blocker, and they get to draw a card. Um, but so does everyone. Uh, uh, and with I our... refer to this category as the the apology category. <laughs> uh, the apology. Oh, there you Ar- go. Ar- Arcane denial, dream fracture. These yeah. are the apology counter Arcane, spells. Arcane denial, you know, <laughs> counters their thing, but they get cards back. I like the idea of magic, where you know, everyone gets to play the game, everyone gets to try to do the thing, but. I'm not necessarily going to just let you have it. You're going to have to work for it. Right. So that's where this category of cards comes with. Like, I'm going to keep the pressure on. I'm going to definitely, you know, control something that might outright win you the game on the spot. But he has some stuff in return to do it again later, you know, try again. And if I had to pick between these two, I'd, I'd pick Helen Golem, uh, just because it is more universal being a colorless card over blue. Yeah, and it's a creature. Like, I do love casting a good Arcane Denial, but... Yeah. You know, counter spells just aren't typically my style of play. Yeah, exactly. But I recognize its power for sure. And my last card is another category of cards. It is uh, five cards big, but I've only listed four of them here because everyone knows the fifth one. Uh, and it is Commando Matters Land. So this is Path of Ancestry, Opal Palace, Forge of Heroes, and Study Hall. For those who don't know what Study Hall is, it's Opal Palace, but for scrying X instead of putting X plus one plus one counters on your commando. And the fifth one is Command Tower, but everyone knows yeah. that, so it seems pointless. My favorite of these is Forge of Heroes. Uh, I have no idea why it's Forge of Heroes. It just is. I just like it <laughs> more than Opal Palace for some reason, even though it's probably objectively weaker. Um, right. It's but, a lot weaker. Yeah. You just um, like things that tap to do something. Yeah. But the thing I like about Forge of Heroes is it plays into the same category that Howling Golem and Arcane Denial does, because I think you, you can, can put the can counter on someone else. Opponents? Yeah. You can. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I like these lands a lot because, you know, while I'm not a huge fan of, of designing for the format in specifics, I do like that there is some support at this level that helps the decks feel a little more cohesive. Yeah. Years ago, before 
the um the competitive scene was really well established and and like everyone knew that Lore Weaver and Way Weaver Lay Weaver was probably the most powerful deck in CPDH. Mm-hmm. I built when when Lore and Way Weaver first came out, I built a, a deck. And I thought it was going to be group hug. And so I put in all of these lands that do cool things, like Forge of Heroes puts counters on things. And I was like, okay, I'm going to use the Forge of Heroes to make my opponent's creature big, and then I'm going to untap it with Lady Weaver and do that again. <laughs> and I thought I was so clever. <laughs> and I, I played this deck like four times, like grand total, and every single time I was like, yeah, I'm doing the group hug thing. This is super fun. Whoops, I comboed on accident and won. <laughs> Oops, my bad. Yeah, I took the deck apart. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> It's too too strong. Mm. So going through that list of Bonda's Ornament, Howling Golem, and Forge of Heroes, you can probably fairly easy easily uh, determine my play style, which is I'm going to do everything in my power to help my opponents win. Yeah, solid. Yeah. I like in it. the business we refer to that play style as uh, Pal's Meta. Yeah, there you go. Perfect fit. Beautiful. This is a really good uh, list of top tier staples. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I- I, uh, I think we need to go deeper. I think yeah, we do. We, I think we need to break it down a little further. Yeah, so we are going to break it down a little further. And going into section three of our show, where we have the staples by category, we thought yeah. we would throw the listeners a curveball. So we actually all have a different category that we are sorting our staples by. Brad has had to choose his staples based on the card's color or color identity. So that's white, blue, black, red, green, and colorless. Dave has had to choose his staples based on the card's mana value. So that's one, two, three, four, five. And then we have zero or six, dealer's choice. And it looks like Dave chose zero. I chose zero. And then, also, I cheated on every single this. I, I see that. <laughs> it's what we do. And then I had to choose my staples based on card type. So that would be creature, artifact, enchantment, instant sorcery, land, and not planeswalker. Uh, and I also chose not to do tribal because I felt like that would have been cheating. <laughs> so, nice, nice. With all that going, Brad, how about you take us through all of your staples, and then we'll move on to Dave. I can, I can do that. I can definitely do that. So yeah, like you said, Liam, I'm going to go through them Wooberg order. My inability to narrow it down to one per color was was simply astounding. That's okay. I feel like if you were to narrow it down to one per color, you might actually dilute what this whole episode is about that right? that's a good point that is good point. yeah i think this this might actually serve to illustrate what the whole episode is about yeah. you know what dave's rant was about what everything we're talking about is about so yeah that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna start off with white actually the first one that came to mind it's the first one that comes to mind in 60 card popper and pdh for white is journey to nowhere it's not as powerful as it is in 60 card popper because you're essentially just sending their commander back to the command zone but Depending on what creature or commander you hit with Journey to Nowhere, it's gonna it's gonna throw them back. If not, destroy their whole game plan. You know, if they're doing Voltron style or, or what have you. So Journey to Nowhere was one. I have, I had Hollow as the next one, but I think I'm leaning more towards Stave Off, which is the protection spell. I'm, I'm blanking on Dave. You know the rules text on it. I'm blanking on it. Target creature gains protection from the color of your choice until mm-hmm. end of turn. There you go, for single white mana. Yep, perfect. Great great protection spell. Comes in handy. It's not hard on the mana at all, so you can slide it into any deck that cares about white or can produce white mana. And then I'm sort of on the fence about this next one, but I have Ephemerate on my list. Okay. And I think it's only... and I think it's situational or conditional because I think it's only becoming or has become a staple 
because of the sheer amount of ETB effects we have now on creatures, if that makes sense. That's like, defensible. It is a super yeah. powerful card, but if you're running vanilla tribal, Ephemerate's not going to do anything <laughs> for you, except for maybe save a creature and damage or something you know, in combat. Quick, quick, so, look up Kev Walker cards that have right. ETBs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it'll slide right in there. you got to get the altar or whatever first, though. Yeah. But yeah, I think Ephemerate is a powerful near staple. It's just very situational. What were you going to say? I, I was just going to quickly throw in that uh, the, the reason I've sort of landed on Kev Walker as like the default like silly example is that I uh, a friend of mine actually used to have a Kev Walker tribal EDH deck with Shattered awesome. Brothers and ev <laughs> every single card in the deck was illustrated by Kev Walker. No exceptions. Oh, that is amazing. It's a good, it was, uh, it's, a, it's a good deck. It's beautiful. Does Kev Walker have completely... one of each basic for that? Okay. Yeah, this is completely off topic, and I don't even think it's possible, but I would totally do that with Anson Maddox. I, He's my all-time favorite magic artist. If if I hadn't abandoned EDH before Rebecca Gway created her mm. base, I would have done a Gway. Sure. What about you, Liam? you got to chime in now. What, with my favorite artist? Yeah, if you could have a 100-card oh. artist tribal. Um, Last time I checked, uh, Dominic Maya has no basics. And friends of Vowinkle has one basic mountain, uh, so I'm not building an artist tribal deck anytime soon. It's fair. Yeah, same. All right, now well, back to the regularly scheduled program. <laughs> All right, on to blue. I was admittedly not great at picking blue staples because I don't play. Mm. Okay, risen reef aside, because that deck just sort of builds itself. It, especially when I brew, I do not brew a lot of blue-based decks. Like, I I rely on blue literally for card draw and, like, less than four counter spells. The, the only reason blue for me is in a deck is to get a few extra cards in my hand, maybe a cool creature, maybe to venture into the dungeon or something crazy, and then for a random counter spell every now and then. So I am sure I am missing one, but I put Treasure Cruise and Negate as my blue staples. Uh, Treasure Cruise is obvious. Card draw boom, you're done, refill your hand. And negate, out of all the counter spells I've tried, I like negate the best because I tend to play multicolored decks so it's easier to cast. And what I have found, at least in the games I've played, we are, I am more worried about a non-creature spell than I am a creature spell. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those are a lot more damaging to what I'm trying to do or to, to the game as a whole. So I, I want to counter those. Super fair. Yep. And then I think we can move on to black. Blue is pretty straightforward. Black is going to be a little bit kind of a cornucopia, if you will, of different types of cards. First one you mentioned earlier, Dave, is cast down. I think for right now, until Watsi gets its way and everything is legendary, I think for right now, cast down is probably the best removal spell we have in the format. Go for the throat. Might hedge it out by a tiny margin. Maybe. Yeah. I think Grow for the Throat is, is real close, and I think in short time, short order, it'll probably overtake it like mm -hmm. real quick. So, And that's probably recency bias. I've been playing with Cast Down since it was downshifted to common. Maybe it's just familiarity. Cause I've never really played with Go for the Throat outside yeah. of random games here and there. So, Go for the Throat is very new, and it's it's not something I ever expected to see downshifted, so I've, yeah, like, I've never exactly. evaluated it. Like I haven't been going through games being like, man... How would this mm -hmm. game be different if I right. had go for the throat? Like, <laughs> it's not a thing I've ever thought about. So yeah, it, it might it might still be cast down. It might be go for the throat. I don't know. Yeah, 
Tough call. And then card draw in black. It's got to be Knight's Whispers, almost for the same reason as Negate. It's easy to cast. It's easy on the mana base. Sure, you take a little bit of damage. Who cares? That's what black does. And it refills, you know, it gets you two cards ripped right off the top. I love it. Straight up, it's great. There's a reason it's still five or six bucks, whatever it is. Pestilence, I feel, is... This sort of got mentioned earlier in the show. Pestilence, to me, is a... It's an identifier of the format. Maybe not so much a staple. Like, when I think of PDH, I think of Bonders Ornament, even though it doesn't see play everywhere. I think of Pestilence, even though it doesn't see play everywhere. Like, those are cards, to me, that represent the format, but maybe not necessarily staples. But I think Pestilence is, is pretty darn close. If you're not going for cast down or go for the throat like pestilence is the best board wipe we have really yeah. i mean it's it is what you want it to be it'll kill whatever you want it to kill including yourself <laughs> sometimes that just happens <laughs> so and then my last one here for black mm, i was kind of iffy on but it comes in handy so often that i feel like it's a very important card and it's a staple to me anyway and, and that's blessing of leeches Black has a ton of one and two and three mana spells that can save your creature or bring it back if it dies or enchant it and you get it back under your control, yada, yada, yada. But Blessing of Leeches is just a straight up almost free regenerate spell for your commander. Costs you one life per turn. And that's really it. If most black decks, there's get, you know, uh, not most, but a lot of black decks in our format have ways to gain that life back and then some. So that's not even a problem. Yeah. And you're just constantly saving your commander from from threats. So I feel like that is just on the other side of the fence of being a staple, but it is extremely useful and very powerful. You know what else is really important about Blessing of Leeches? What's that? Rebecca Guayar. Oh, see? There you it go. Is. It's all coming together. All right, let's go to the red slice of the pie. Well, Black had a board wipe, so Red gets a board wipe. Fiery Cannonade. I think it's a staple of the format. I, I, I'm a, I am honestly surprised. Like when I first started getting into PDH, I was surprised at how few decks ran Fiery Cannonade. Coming from 60 card where Fiery where Cannonade just wrecked everything I tried to brew, <laughs> you know. I was surprised how few decks actually played it in this format. But it is super powerful. It, it if you're running red, you almost have to consider it at least, even if it gets cut, even if you end up at 110 cards and you gotta make some cuts. If this doesn't make the final one, you know, 99, it's still in the in the running for being in the main board. Same with Thrill of Possibilities. You know, card drawn red is has gotten better over the last few years. But Thrill of Possibilities is just very easy to cast. It's comes in useful in so many situations. It's works with so many different types of synergies, depending on what you're splashing, you know, what, what another color is, or even if mono red. But to me, red doesn't have a ton of staples that are permanents that necessarily affect the board state a whole lot, at least on your side, unless your commander cares about them specifically and you need to run it for your commander. You know, like Experimental Synthesizer, that's a busted card, but it's not as busted in PDH and it's only busted in like half a dozen decks. Like you're not just going to... I mean, you might, but typically you're not just going to throw it in there because you play mountains. Like, you might, but there's going to be very specific decks where it is going to be one of the better cards in there, and, and you want to see it every single game. But I don't think that makes it a staple of the format. What do you guys think? Do you think I'm, I'm off base on red? I had trouble with red quite a bit, actually. I don't know. I think red has a lot of cards that are just generically good in certain strategies, but I don't know that there is a go-for-the-throat 
treasure cruise level card for Red right. Red. Yeah, that's what that's what I struggled with. And if there is, it's Fiery Cannonade. Yeah, I think Fiery Cannonade, Thrill of Possibility, Reckless Impulse. I think is the other good red draw spell mm, and then excellent if yeah. if you're going to choose a red removal spell i think i think that it is lightning bolt i think that your your earlier thing is was was spot on where like lightning bolt is not as ubiquitous in pdh as it is in 60 card popper for for very good reasons but we're still talking about a one mana instant that kills a lot of things yeah yeah so like yeah. it's um and, yeah it oh, go ahead and I, I do want to touch on Lightning Bolt real quick, because this is a thought that I've had before while recording and have completely forgotten to mention. As I play more and more EDH and, and keep track of things, you know, I, I like to ask myself, you know, what is the biggest toughness on the board, right? Just just to, to, to better, I don't know what the, the word is, but better hone myself, uh, whatever that, that one I'm looking for, to be better at card advantage. Oh, or not card advantage. Um, card read evaluation. Thank you, evaluation. All of the words are escaping <laughs> me right now. To be better at card evaluation, uh, for PDH specifically, because it is still a format that I'm, I am, I'm still figuring out in some regards. And mm -hmm. you know, Lightning Bolt is really good in those four formats. Everyone knows that's really good in pop, really good in modern. Terrible in EDH, unless your deck is <laughs> very specifically looking to deal direct damage and or copy instances and sorceries a large number of times. And I mean a large number of times, because Lightning Bolt is very far down that list of things you want to be copying. Yeah. So I, I like to just look, and more often than not, you know, there might be a creature that, that is five, six, seven toughness, but the next biggest creature is four toughness. And then the next one is three, and there's like seven of those. And mm -hmm. I honestly think that Lightning Bolt might be a really good card in PDH, unlike in EDH, because it just reads destroy most creatures. <laughs> yeah, and it really does. For one mana at instant speed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think with that evaluation in mind, it's important to take that evaluation to specifically white cards, where they often have a power or a toughness restriction. In PDH, yeah. I don't think that restriction is usually too unrealistic for most of the creatures in the format. Yeah. Now, you know, it does get awkward if there are plus and plus one counters involved, but it's significantly yeah. less awkward than it is in EDH where everything starts as a 3-3. Right, exactly. For, for context on the Lightning Bolt evaluation, uh, I will I will very happily say that um, in a lot of competitive decks, Lightning Bolt is so highly valued that people will run Lightning Bolt, and then they will run all of the Snowlands so that they can run Frostbite. Yeah, and have a second lightning bolt. Have a second one. And, okay, that makes sense. And then they'll run a lot of CPDH aspect. They'll run a lot of like cheap instants and sorceries, like opt preordained serum visions, so that they can reliably trigger fiery impulse as a third lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. So mm, like trying to get to that four of that four of mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They and then, like scred maybe as well. So like the, yeah, yeah the, the idea of like a one mana instant speed kill spell is i mean even if it's toughness restricted yes yeah, like, the critics all that stuff uh yeah a little bit less but yeah skewer the critics i think is powerful because it it goes to face post combat mm -hmm. so like that doesn't see a lot of play in competitive pdh because it's a sorcery oh yeah that's true okay yeah it's it you're not going to be able to instant speed cast it 
or or cast it for cheap like when you need it but like instant yeah, l- lightning bolt fiery impulse scred uh frostbite like people are people are working hard to get themselves a lot of one mana instant speed removal spells in competitive scene and it, yeah. it pays off yeah absolutely all right i've got two more let's go to green green first one the first one that popped in my mind for green is tamio safekeeping to me that's got to be hands down one of the top green cards we have in the format it's like everything you just said about lightning bolt but i guess it does the opposite sort of thing it's one mana it's instant speed it protects you know the threat they're trying to kill before safekeeping came out i I maybe would have said snakeskin veil because that's pretty good gives hexproof all that good stuff but safekeeping protects everything it's just it's target permanent it doesn't care if you want to protect your creature enchantment artifact land and for one one green mana like you don't have to be invested in mono green to play tamio safekeeping you just play it and it's real good the next one i have on my list is broken fall similar to blessing of leeches probably not as easy or as fast or as you know as good as Bro- blessing of leeches but it's good it's a I believe three mana enchantment that says bring it back to your hand, regenerate target creature, boom, you're done. Save your commander I, once, recast it. What was that? I would argue if, if we're comparing it to Blessing of Leeches, I think that Broken Fall is probably much, much better because okay. Broken Fall is basically categorically immune to removal. Like if that you, is that is true. If you put your Blessing of Leeches on the thing you want to protect and someone goes, I boomerang your creature, you're like, well, well, shit. that sucks. <laughs> like, I guess I should have thought of that. But like, I mean, Broken Fall won't ever go to the way to the boomerang. And if anyone's like, I cast Nature's Claim on your Broken Fall, you can be like, I regenerated response. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I just bounce it to my hand. Like, you'll never good get point. rid of Broken Fall. Yeah, that is a good point. So, yeah. I guess I would put it above Blessing of Leeches. So, mm-hmm. nice. And then I don't know if any green staple list would be complete without some sort of ramp. So I have Kadoma's Reach on here. We have a ton of ramp spells, Cultivate, Crop Rotation, Kadoma's Reach, just so many on and on and on. I think Kodama's Reach is the best for what we have. I think it's our best option, and I don't play it nearly as much as I should because I just don't think I own very many of them. But That's fair. For three mana, you can't really you can't really beat that that effect. So. That's my color pie. I'll move on to the colorless and literally the three that I put on here, the three most important colorless cards <laughs> to me in our format <laughs> were talked about for 45 minutes. So we got Bonders Ornament, Commander Sphere, and Scare Chiller. Those Boom. were my three. <laughs> Good. So that is my staples by category. Who we got next? Dave. Let's talk uh, about some mana value. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start off with mana value of one. Brad has mentioned some of these cards, and I'm going to repeat them. And, and My, I think it's good to repeat them in the context of mana value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know the, what? If, if a card gets repeated in color, mana value, and potentially in card type, that might mean it's a really, really good staple. That, that might just mean it's something. Probably, yep. It's probably a staple. Yeah. So the the cards that I want to talk about at Mana Value 1 are Stave Off and Vines of Vastwood, first of all. We, we've already heard about Stave Off before from Brad. Uh, I want to talk about these two specifically, because these two are really unique amongst our one-mana protection spells in that they can target any creature. 
Like the reason that I was able to just immediately rattle off the exact text of Save Off is because I've had to explain this to lots of people. Mm -hmm. uh, if someone has a rabid wombat with a lot of green enchantments on it, and you go, I cast Stave Off, I target your wombat, I give your wombat pro green. Sorry. Like, all of their enchantments fall off. <laughs> if someone tries to cast Ghostly Flicker on their own Paragon Drake, and you go, I cast Stave Off, I give your Paragon Drake protection from blue, like... Oh, no. Their ghostly flicker doesn't work anymore. Stave off is an aggressive protection spell. You can use this to stop your opponent from doing things. And Vines of yeah. Asteroids looks like it reads target creature gains hexproof. But what it actually says is target creature cannot be the target of your opponent's spells or abilities. Yep. So if you target your opponent's creature with Vines, all the same stuff is true. They can Vines is an effective counterspell for things like Ghostly Flicker or even like Blessing of Leeches, which is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention, in, the, in terms of this one mana protection situation, I also want to mention Tamiyo's Safekeeping and Blacksmith's Skill. Uh, Brad talked about Safekeeping. Blacksmith's Skill is almost the exact same card in white. Yeah. Instead it's a little of more conditional, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, instead of gaining you two life it will potentially give the target plus two plus two if the target happens to be an artifact creature. That's not really important. It still says target permanent you control gains hexproof and indestructible, which is colossal. My honorary mention in the one mana value, I said I cheated on all of these, and it's that <laughs> I, I made sure to put at least one card in each mana value that has the wrong mana value. Right, So of course. Naturally. My honorable mention for the one mana value great staple is apostle's blessing so i'm still on this protection <laughs> thing yeah. apostle's blessing is good because it's it's very it goes in multicolored decks very well yeah because it, it it essentially it costs you one generic mana and two life for a protection and it can protect against artifacts mm -hmm. if you're about to get blown out by a uh, aether spell bomb apostle's blessing will stop that yep. apostle's blessing to save the day it's really important in Bird Horse, because Bird Horse gets blown out by Aether Spellbombs a lot. <laughs> I'm going to slide into Mana Value 2. Mm -hmm. The cards that I like in the Mana Value 2 category are Reckless Impulse, which we mentioned before. This is your red Impulse card draw, two mana. Impulse draw two cards. You can cast them until the end of your next turn. Thrill of Possibility as the instant speed, two mana. Discard a card, draw two. Uh, I think this is at at worst, instant speed card selection, which is excellent. At best, yeah. going to enable your madness and your flashback and your other stuff. I, I end up putting thrill of possibility into an enormous number of decks, even even decks without madness and flashback. It's just good enough on its own. Yep. My honorable mentions in the mana value two category are behold the multiverse, which I always categorize as a two mana spell because of foretell, and it just feels like it. Feels like a two mana spell. And Deep Analysis, which also just feels like a two-mana spell to me. It's yep. two-mana and three life. Yeah, so, um, I'm okay with that. Yes, my mana, value, my mana value one slot is full of protection pieces. My mana value two is filled with things that let you draw two cards. And I notice we've had some staples so far that cost us life, like Blessing of Leeches, Apostles oh, yeah. Blessing, Deep Analysis. It turns out when you start a game with 30 life, uh, 29 of it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot to play with. <laughs> Only the last one matters. The rest yep. is just a resource. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you if you win a game at ten life, you had nine too much. <laughs> you could, could have, have spent nine lower. of that and yep. still still won that game. 
Yes, I'm I'm very reckless with life, so I I I tend to do a lot of things that cost me life because uh, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Mana value three is where things start going to branch out into other things. I also want to talk about Broken Fall because, like Brad said, it's just it makes your creatures kind of permanent, and it itself is just never going to go away ever. Like the only thing that can deal with a Broken Fall is Croson Grip, which is not in our format, so right. don't have to worry about it. I guess technically someone could do something clever with like trying to kill your creature and then making you discard. Like if someone pulls the murder into a Tassiger's cruelty maneuver, yeah. like <laughs> then they've earned it. But anything yeah, short of that, is, but... your broken fall is never going to stop being a thing that regenerates one of your creatures every single turn cycle, and, which know, is a little too, crazy. You know, too, if if player A tries to kill my commander or the broken fall and I just bring him back to my hand and then player two actually goes ahead and kills my commander I actually feel good because I had both of them trying to get rid yeah. of what I had you know then I have something and, good going on and on your turn you can cast your commander and broken fall <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they're spending their stuff to just tempo you and you still have access to all of it like exactly yeah broken fall is a house I feel like I need to talk about Crypt Rats, because uh, Crypt Rats is also uh, a house of power. Uh, it's just the pestilence that is on a body. And in some ways, I like I recognize that Crypt Rats kills itself much more quickly than pestilence kills itself. But in some ways, I like Crypt Rats more because it's easier to cast. Like, if you want to cast and use pestilence in the same turn, you're already down two black mana and maybe more depending on how much colorless you have access to. Mm-hmm. So like if you want a pestilence for 3, you need to have 5 black mana and 2 generic available. Right. Uh crypt ratsing for 3 is a little easier. I also like it because it black has a ton of ways to recycle its creatures. Black does not have ways to recycle enchantments. Once pestilence right. hits your graveyard, it's gone. Yeah. Crypt rats is a perfect target for unearth. Yes. Or call of the netherworld whatever the madness one is, Grave Scrabbler. Like, and you, you can't hit Pestilence with the touch of Moonglove. So, it's I mean. right. The other thing, <laughs> Death Touch and Lifelink. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, you can you can do some dirty things with Crypt Rats. My honorable mention in the three-drop slot is Moldrifter, which we all know costs exactly three uh, Every time. and sacrifices itself. Uh, with uh, there's, there's actually a kicker. It's a three-drop card. That draws you two with a kicker of two, and if you pay the kicker, you get a body out of it later. Yeah, you get a two-two flyer. Yeah, that's the that's the kicker cost. Yep. My mana value four slot is pretty boring. Uh, I with the with the four slot, I kind of went with cards that appear in a lot of my decks version sure. of staple, and for that, I came up with Urgolem's Eye and Sisse's Ring. Yeah, These your ex- the... your explanation of mana value four was kind of my explanation for red. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing. Yeah, this that's is, fair. This is where your commander should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right i i play a lot of decks that are very slow very build up very mana thirsty uh so i like to have these big rocks that i can put like i i really like the maneuver where you go turn two arcane signet turn three ergolem's eye turn four you untap with seven mana yeah like i like those kind of games so i i really like the 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 ergolem's eye the sisay's ring i feel like to me, they're like Popper Soul Ring. Sure. I kind of put them into a lot of things. Just this artifact that taps for two. And this it's appropriately costed instead of stupid costed, so I'm fine <laughs> with that. I put Pestilence on this list. We all, we all know what Pestilence does. 
My honorable mention in the four drop slot is Revolutionist, which I uh, I'm told that the actual mana value is six. That seems like a myth. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that that's true. For me, Revolutionist is just a four mana three three Archaeomancer that you get to cast instead of discarding a card. Yeah, because I'm madness at it. it's, is it's three and a red. That's, yeah, that's three and a red. That's the cost. I only have one card in my mana value 5 slot. It turns out that once you get up to mana value... Like, trying to find staples that cost 5 mana. Like, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tall order. But I came up with one. My staple is Gary. Love it. Yeah, Grey Merchant. Just If you're playing... If, if, you're, if you have a deck with black pips in it, you should probably run Gary. Right. Uh, he's, <laughs> especially now that we have, we have so much flicker. And, like, black has so much grave flicker with yeah. all these... In your own death and undying malice cards like you can you can do gross things with gary pretty easily my five drop honorable mention is grow from the ashes which is one of my favorite green ramp spells uh i like this about as much as i like cultivate and kodamas i like that it pulls for five mana it can pull two lands from your deck straight into play untapped mm-hmm. so it only sets you back three mana for that turn and then you have two lands in play ready to go. Uh, I run. This is sort of like the the first ramp spell I add to a lot of my decks. Okay, sure. We're gonna wrap all the way back around to zero here to round things out. Mm-hmm. My mana value zero actual pick is Command Tower because beautiful there. Uh, yeah. I run it in every single one of my non monocolor decks. I do not have it in Golem Artisan because that would be silly, but it's in the rest. My honorable mention for the zero drop slot is uh, Gitaxian Probe and Snuff Out. A friend of mine on the rules committee, a guy named Yalaram, uh, we, we heard about him a couple episodes ago when Crash was on talking about the tier list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yalaram wrote an article a while back about uh, what, what he thought of as the most underplayed cards in competitive. And his first one was Gitaxian Probe. And he, he literally starts with this paragraph like, it. It completely blows my mind why anyone with a blue deck in a competitive game would not have Gix Probe in their deck. It's just <laughs> free value. Like, it's literally free. It costs you nothing. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Like that life as a resource you were talking about. If you have a blue deck that isn't running Gix Probe, like, theoretically, you can order the quality of the cards in that deck and find whichever is the worst card and take out the worst card and replace it with Kataxian Probe, and then you have a better deck. Yeah. Theoretically. He makes very compelling points. Snuff out is just classic removal. Costs nothing. Yep. Kills things. Kills things for free. Yep. Free real estate. Free real estate. Yeah. We talked about that last week on our wish list. Yep. And that's it. I'm done. Those are the those are the cards by mana value that I like to see in decks. That Bravo. I put in a, a lot of mine. Yep. I want to hear what Liam has to say. I do too. I want to hear about some types. All right. So when it comes to the card types. I feel like creature was probably the easiest one of these because in our format, we do have two creatures that have been renamed by the community. Um, everyone <laughs> knows them as Steve and Gary. I don't need to tell you what these cards do because you already know. And I felt like that was very indicative of a community love for them as well as a staple-ish nature to them. Everybody knows what they do. You know, you can just say, I tapped your mana, play Steve Pass. Uh, you know, when it gets two players later, you can be like, I have Steve as a blocker, but I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice him now to go get a basic, right? There's the shortcut. Mm-hmm. 
I just felt like that was very indicative of the play style that people want to make. And that is what makes them a staple. Yeah, Steve and Gary are transcendent, mm -hmm. I think. An honorable mention goes to a, a more recent-ish cut, and it makes me kind of sad that this cut is almost two years old. And that's Masked Vandal. Not as, you know, uh, uh, transcendent as Steve and Gary is, but this creature, you're almost foolish to not put this in your green PDH decks, in my opinion. Yeah. Because the only argument I could see against it is a tribal deck, but it has changeling, so that argument so <laughs> doesn't really work. It's it's removal stapled onto a creature ETB, and it goes in any tribal deck. Like important removal too, artifact yeah. and enchantment. I think it's really good. And it it's exile removal too, isn't it? it or does is, it yeah. just exile? Oh, it's it's exile. It exiles a creature from your graveyard to yeah. exile the artifact or enchantment. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so good. It's yeah. crazy good. I, I you know I I was racking my brain for just another creature beyond Stephen Gary, and I could not stop thinking about mask vandal and i in my head i had like i was like there has to be a better one there i just couldn't think of one it just just it's a go ahead. it's a rebel yeah it is it is a rebel. yeah you can go find it you can, you can yeah. rebel that into play at instant <laughs> speed yeah yeah it, it's just a stable creature moving on out of the creatures when we get to artifacts uh the first one that i have is relic of progenitus being how well known it is in 60 card popper as well as even in edh um my you know i play my pdh decks against edh decks all the time and in my tatiova deck i have a relic of progenitus and i'll just drop it on the table be like relic pass and the table freezes and they're like you can't just say relic pass hold on um you know like and before we leave my end step there's like a lot of politics and like you know what what are your intentions with that relic i'm like you know don't irritate me because i need my graveyard yeah. like i need my graveyard to play the game but like you know if i need to i'll blow everything up like mm -hmm. don't don't make that's me. how a lot of players play pestilence too um, they're like this is just here i'm letting yeah. you decide how i use this <laughs> yeah you know i i will tap it on the tone before mine and you know yeah that's it you don't don't make me use it um just know that mm -hmm. it's here and a card that gets that kind of recognition at the edh level I felt like needed to be mentioned at least here. And for those who don't know, yeah, for sure. definitely look this, look this card up. Um, it's it's too powerful for me to read on, on audio. <laughs> it's not because I don't have it pulled up here beside me. Uh, oh, the next not. cycle is the diamond cycle. Uh, and this is more of a stable cycle for me personally uh, that I wanted to mention. Uh, it's the cycle of cards that two mana and they enter the battlefield tapped, and they tap for one color. So Marble Diamond taps for white. Yeah. Fire Diamond taps for red. Moss Diamond taps for green, right? I personally like this cycle over Arcane Signet, only because mm. that's the kind of play style I want to have. Um, is okay. the fun, dudley kind. I, I understand that Arcane Signet is definitely better than this cycle. Like, there's, there's, you know, no argument there. It is better, but I like the diamonds better. Arcane Signet doesn't have an old border printing, or that old frame true. printing. That is so, true. Uh, no, no, it does. It does. True. It's in the uh, secret does? layer. Um, Dan Frazier with the uh, signet, the bonus card of Arcane layer. Signet. Yeah. Uh, okay. Arcane Signet doesn't have an old border, an old frame printing that isn't stupid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I I will accept that. Um, nailed it. Brilliant. <laughs> I like the diamonds. Uh, I think they do need to see more play, just because they are they are good cards. Like, yeah, the they are worse Arcane Signet, sure. 
but they're still really good. They are still really good to drop on turn two, you know, considering we don't have all the fast mana in, in particular Soul Ring, they are still really good. Commander Sphere, Mind Stone might be better just because later in the game they can draw you cards, but I just, I don't see the diamonds enough, and I think we need to see more play. That's fair. The next one I want to talk about is Whisper Silk Cloak. Uh, another EDH comparison. I guess this is the first EDH comparison. Lightning boot. Yeah, lightning boots. <laughs> lightning boots <laughs> and swiftlet grief. You figure it out. Those cards are really good in EDH. Uh, anyone who wants to protect their commander runs one, if not both of those. More often than not, the haste is not the reason you're running it. You're running it for the hexproof and the shroud, respectively. Mm -hmm. And Whisper Silk Cloak is the PDH uh, comparison there. Whisper Silk Cloak has shroud. It's not great. The, the equipped creature haste, it instead grants them unblockable, which some might, you know, argue is better. It is notable that it is shroud, which means you cannot target your commander. So if you're doing something like Voltron, be careful with Whisper yeah. Silk Cloak. Yeah, for sure. Be careful. Uh, but if you're not doing Voltron, if you're running something like Tatiova, where you're not targeting your commander, but you need them to stay out as long as possible, Whisper mm -hmm. Silk Cloak is really, really good. Because people have to remove the greet, the cloak before they can remove Tetiova. Right. And there are plenty of commanders in PDH where you know you might be triggering an ability on them or activating one of their abilities. You may want them to attack, but you're not necessarily targeting them with anything. There are plenty of decks like that, and if you have a deck like that, I would recommend seeing if you can find a spot for Whisper Still Cloak. I know we can be tight on, on room in our deck sometimes, but I think it is a really good multi-ton protection spell that just needs to be recognized. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be totally honest. The, the overwhelming reason I don't run Whisper Silk in most of my decks is the same mm -hmm. reason that you do run Diamonds instead of Arcane Signet. Yeah. I just really kind of dislike the gameplay that Whisper Silk creates. Uh, yeah, I agree. I feel, like, yeah, I, feel like, I feel like there's a lot of like inevitability just built into that where like, uh, okay, I didn't I didn't top deck my artifact removal, so I die. <laughs> like <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, it's hundred uh, percent. Yeah. you know, I like Whisper Silk Cloak because it makes people have to have two removal spells from my commander. But I can also completely understand that you may not like that gameplay. You may not want to have to waste two removal slots on a single creature. Yeah. Uh and then the next category of cards. Uh, I had fun with this one. Uh, enchantment. We know what two cards were staples <laughs> before they pioneered the ban list for the format. Uh, Rhystic Study and Mystic Remora. So I'm going to talk before about them. Dave personally banned them right yeah. out from under us. Yeah, come on, Dave. How could you? It, it was me. <laughs> um, Easily. I would, I would do it again. <laughs> oh, I would too. So when we're talking about uh, enchantment here, somehow uh, the green and white colors didn't make it onto this list until we got to the honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't ask me how so we have i'm just going to go rapid fire here we have pestilence we've already talked about pestilence uh you know yep. if if you forget about pestilence rewind about 10 minutes next is oubliette dave's personal Good hatred one. for this card uh i have a personal love for this card uh just removing a commander and all relevant things attached to them is great and <laughs> i think this is an amazing card that does definitely does not need banned and therefore it is a stable. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Oubliette's pretty stable-ish. <laughs> um, yeah. The next card I have is Freed from the Real. Most popular in combo decks, but I feel like mm -hmm. most blue combo decks are running some version of Freed. 
I do say most, I recognize that's not all. For instance, my Tatio deck is a blue combo deck not running freed from the real, even though it should. Don't ask me why it's not. I don't know. Uh, and I think I think I cut the other half of the combo at some point, and I was just like, why is this in here anymore? It doesn't do anything. But yeah, it's, it is a fairly good, fairly well-known uh, blue staple uh, for combo decks. I think if you are running a blue combo deck that deals with tapping and untapping, that card is already going to be in the deck. I don't think it belongs in every blue X deck, but I definitely think if your strategy is combo, if you're not already running a freed combo, you should run a freed combo. That is fair. The next card in enchantment is Kaya's Ghost Worm. Uh, this is kind of just indicative of all the enchantments that protect, uh, whether this is like Blessing of Leeches or, or uh, Fall, not Fall from Paper, but... Uh, broken Fall. Broken Fall, thank you. All the enchantments that kind of protect Commando in a different and unique way. I think Kaya's Ghost Form is just my favorite of the bunch because it can protect your Rule Zero Planeswalker Commandos. And yeah, I, it's just this category of card is overlooked because they are not very useful in other formats. But to someone new to the format, they wouldn't even think to look at these. While they are some of the best pieces of protection that we have in the format, as previously mentioned. So yeah. I definitely think you need to take a look at this this category of cards and really do a deep dive on Scryfall for some of them, because they they are invaluable in certain decks. They they are irreplaceable. And then the honorable mention is Spider Silk Armor as discussed before i believe by brad did you discuss this one uh yeah i mentioned it earlier yeah i think it was like way earlier you mentioned it yeah spider silk armor just i i had i, I will be straight with you i have never heard of this card until i played on your stream <laughs> and nice <laughs> it's a doozy I, man it'll 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 tear you up oh my goodness it tore the elves apart tore them apart and then yep. I saw it again on a later stream of yours, and then I saw it the following night on a PAL's stream, and I was like, yeah. okay, this could actually sees play. Hold on. And it's the reach. Like, I'm okay with plus O plus one, but yeah. they get reach. I, oh, my God. This, this, it, it, it reads like it does nothing, but I promise you that that one toughness boost, like I was saying earlier, nothing in the format really goes above three or four. That one toughness boost to four to five makes a world of a difference. PDH. Yeah. In PDH mm -hmm. specifically it does. And also in PDH there aren't that many flyers, right? Unless unless you build a flying tribal deck. Yeah, unless that's what you're, you're going for. Yeah, you're gonna have like two, maybe three flyers in your whole deck. And that's just something that like I've just noticed just deck building. Like like it's just a thing. And I think it's just because flying is not that common at the common rarity. Yeah. And oh my goodness. That reach is actually relevant. Super relevant. So yeah, Spider Silk Armor definitely should be considering it for some of your green support uh, slots. Moving on to the instants and sorceries, I actually had a lot of trouble with this category because I hate to think of uh, non-permanent spells as staples, even though I know they are. Because I like my cards to, despite my favorite guild being is it. I like my cards to actually do something and stick around for a bit, <laughs> which is why I, when I play Is It, I like to you know copy the the spell fifty times because then I feel like the spell does something. So for my instance, I have previously mentioned Ephemerate, Snuff Out, and Ghostly Flicker, all for the same reasons as previously mentioned. Wow, you know, going last is actually kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we we've been over it. Ephemerate is just good for white decks that have a lot of good ETBs. 
Snuff Out is a very nice free removal spell at our rarity, and Ghostly Flicko is a nice combo enabler. In addition to these, I have Nature's Claim, a uh, single green instant destroy target artifact or enchantment. Its controller gains four life. I don't care about getting someone four life. I really don't. I'm usually, I'm either comboing for the win, or I'm just going to alpha strike someone or infect them. So I really don't care about four life. Uh, in addition to Nature's Claim, <laughs> uh, the Glamour, where it takes the uh, artifact yes. or enchantment and shuffles it into the library. Oh, I love that so much. That's such a good one. I love that cut so much. I, I love it so it much cut, more than natural. It'll catch so many people just out of the blue. It'll catch them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Deglamour. It's fantastic, yeah. Yep. Love it. Underrated cut. Moving on to the sorcery. Extremely. Uh, I have Treasure Cruise, as previously mentioned. Good cut. We've got the Green Ramp Package, which is uh, Rampant Growth called Fixed Thomas Reach for Seek, Three Visits, Nature's Lore, uh, Sky Shroud Claim. Y'all know what those do. Ramp cards are just staples. I don't think I need to create a coherent argument for that right yeah sure after that we have the red uh discard draw cards that have started to pop up in recent years a lot of these are at common i don't think people realize they're at common you know that's custodic reunion sees the spoils unexpected windfall honorable mention to the reckless impulse that we recently got because it's not big score discard draw my favorites yeah yeah this whole section of cards is really you know i i Knocked on Brad earlier for like they're not really red staples, but but they are. Like this is how red gets its advantage, and yeah. red also takes advantage of the graveyard a lot more than other colors, other than black. Right, black is reanimating creatures, but red takes advantage of everything else, like lands and sorceries. So I think that this suite of cards at the sorcery level is really where red shines. And in addition to that. I think that the black, uh, two and a black draw family of cards has also really taken off. This used to just be uh, Read yeah, the Bones and Painful Truth. we're getting those truth. left and right lately. Yeah, I, this used to be just Read the Bones and uh, Painful Truth, which are really good cards. But in recent years, we've gotten Foreboding Fruit, which is uh, Read the Bones, but it makes you a food. Funeral Rites, which mills you two cards. Pointed Discussion, which is Read the Bones, but it makes uh, a blood token. Atrocious Experiment, which is so new that I don't know what it does. Uh, I just know it, it ended up uh, on this list. It's the same, same thing right. with Mill 2. Mill 2? Okay. Um, I, I think the difference between Funeral Rites and Atrocious Experiment is Funeral Rites is still you only, but Atrocious Experiment is the same cost, but it's any play. Target player, different. yep. I think so, yeah. So, like, this, this, this grouping of cards has also gotten really, really fleshed out, really good in the last couple of years, and is really good for the color that can't you know, mass draw like blue does. Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm building a black red deck, I almost always have like six or seven of these cards. Oh, I do too. Minimum. I usually overload on them. Mm -hmm. What about you, Dave? Depends on the deck. I, I don't put them into... If if I'm playing a deck that needs card draw, I will I will run them. Yeah. Like, well, obviously, if I have a blue uh, in the Oz, deck. Ozra Oddsmaker doesn't like them. Carter doesn't like them. Okay. Jury has a handful. I th no, no, I think I think Jury goes hard on like the the deadly dispute village rights. Yeah, I feel like Jury oh, okay. and Alders yeah, yeah. Reap guys instead. Yeah, yeah, like the, the I I this is like the default card draw mm -hmm. that I use in a in a deck. Deep Fire Elemental I think has all of these because mm -hmm. it's not going to do any of the other things. If I right. if I have a better <laughs> more synergistic way to draw cards in the deck, then I'll use that instead. But this is this is my default for sure. It it they do end up in a lot of my decks. Yeah, 
Okay. And then getting on to lands, I'm going to go ahead and start with the X cyclers. Uh, these would be the cycling lands that cycle for a single pip of their color. Uh, I cannot name them off the top of my head. Uh, can someone help me out with at least one of them? I think Baron Moore. Is Baron Moore Sandbar. Moore Sandbar. Uh, Sandbar. Secluded Step. Secluded Step. For forgotten Cave and Tranquil Thicket. Tranquil Thicket. Tranquil Thicket. Yep. All right. So yep. So those that that whole cycle of cards and including Ash Barons, which uh, taps your colorless, or you can pay one generic to basically uncycle it. I think yeah. that cycle of six cards is really solid. I try to always include them in my decks, uh, regardless of, yeah, of for color sure. identity. The only exception yes. is that I've I've not built a five color deck, so I can't say that I've put all six of these in a five color deck. I probably wouldn't do that. I'd put Ash Barons, but probably not the five uh, other ones. Yeah, that might get a little a little clunky. But like I, even even I in don't the, think there's room for these even yeah. in a five color deck. Yeah, but even in my three color decks, you know, I put the 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 three that go for that color combo in the deck. Because when I go down to my monocolor decks, I put in, you know, Tranquil Stick It, uh, Desert of the Indomitable, and whatever the, mm, the de is. Deserts too, yeah. Yeah, so like, mm -hmm. th there's three cycles of these, right? There's there's the cycle that cycles for just the color pip. There's the cycle that cycles for two generics. And then there's the cycle of the deserts, which cycles for a generic and the colored pip, but they have the added benefit of being a desert subtype. Yeah. And I wonder... Whenever I do my monocolor decks, I put all three in, and sometimes Ash Barons. Uh, whenever I have my two-color decks, generally speaking, I put the two single pip and the two generic cycles in. Ash Barons might make it in. The deserts never make it in unless I want the desert subtype, and then they replace the two generic cycles. Yeah. So that's, that's a total of three, maybe four with Ash Barons in monocolor four to five in my two color decks and in my three color decks i run the three and ash bands so that's four there so i feel like there's about room for four to five cycling lands per deck and unless you're five color and then you you're running too many dual lands yeah <laughs> yep. so is it is it remote isle drifting meadow slippery karst smoldering crater karst. and which one are you black, forgetting black uh, slippery karst mire polluted um, mire polluted mire yeah, polluted mire. The, the deserts are easy. It's, it's desert of the adjective of the desert. Yeah, desert of whatever. <laughs> desert, desert of, of swamps, desert of islands, desert of mountains. Yeah. 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 That's uh, the first land cycle that I think is, is really good and just belongs in decks that people don't even realize. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, I want to mention specifically the Jukabog and Mystic Sanctuary for obvious reasons that yeah. I hope y'all know, uh, but I'll go ahead and go over them. For Jukabog for being Graveyard Control and Mystic Sanctuary for being a fairly well-known combo piece, but also just being a really good value piece. Even if you're not comboing with it, if your deck is heavy in blue, I would recommend this card. Like one land should not be able to contribute to tempo, control, and combo. Exactly. Like, that's busted. Uh, so I want to mention those two specifically, but I also want to honorably mention the cycle they came in. But not necessarily the whole cycle. So Bajukabog, in its cycle, also comes Palomar Depths in blue and Colony Garden in green. Both of these are amazing cards. I also cannot tell you how hilarious it is to combo off with a Peregrine Drake Ghostly Flicker cycle, uh, where all of your other land payoffs have been exiled, like Sun Scorched Desert and, and Mist, you know, whatever. So you're left with Colony Garden. And you just make infinite O ones. <laughs> that Amazing. that irritates the table. It's not a win. It's hilarious. Uh, it is funny, and 
yeah, I, I think these two are really good. Uh, Connie Gun just goes in every one of my green decks because I like the token and I like drawing little plants with the zombies characters on my infinite tokens. Uh, yeah. And how yeah. depth is just a really good thing to to draw cards off the top of your deck. Uh, and then looking at the Mystic Sanctuary cycle, I actually like this whole cycle. Mm-hmm. I'm I, a fan of it too. I do like the whole thing, even though the red one is kind of useless, uh, making a one-one dwarf. <laughs> um, yeah. And you just talked about how much you like making a zero-one plant. Now you're gonna <laughs> rag on the one-one dwarf. But the zero-one yeah. plant is free. The one-one dwarf requires you to have three mountains. That's also free. All of my decks have mountains. Okay, but not all of my decks have three mountains. Uh, well, we found your problem. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to diagnose what's wrong, and I I can prescribe a solution. That's it. Um. So you know, with the with somehow the red one being objectively the worst, with the white one not far behind, just giving a single counter. <laughs> uh, I do like Gingerbread Cabin, which is Cottage out of this cycle. It's funny that out of these mm-hmm. two cycles, I like the Salt Tide one the best. With mm-hmm. uh, Witch's Cottage uh, returning a creature, I believe the top of your library, not the yeah, to the top. And Gingerbread Cabin making a food has become way more relevant than I like to admit. Um, yes, it, it really has. It, I, I, can, I don't like to admit how relevant that food has been in so many games. And yeah, I think that the fact that this cycle is fetchable also adds another layer that people don't necessarily think about when they're looking Sky at the Sky Shroud Claim. Sky Shroud Claim, <laughs> uh, Three Visits, Nature's Law, Farseek. Yeah. Well, those the other ones, most of those put it into play tapped right nature's lore, nature's lore doesn't nature's lore and three visits put them into play untapped as long as it comes yeah, wow. into play untapped with its own ability brad <laughs> good to know i'm writing it down and yeah uh fussy gets them into play tapped i think tapped farseek is definitely tapped but still they can be fetched for field of the dead reasons they, which they... is definitely pauper relevant oh for sure yeah 100 yeah uh so that's Staples when it comes to land. Ooh, we got through our whole list, didn't we? Yeah, sure did. That's a hell of a top it. Good, good, good stuff. All right, I think uh, that wraps up our Staples talk, but we do want to touch on some listener questions. I think Liam put out the Eagle Call forum, and we got some good ones again this week. I'll go ahead and start us off here. First up, at McDubo, or MC underscore Dubo, trying to find inspiration for a new home to put all their green ramp cards. Hashtag Staples. From taking apart Tago Ichtekic. They don't want to play Maja or Maya or original Tatiova, but they want to know what to do with all these cards, all these green ramp cards. What do you tell them, Dave? I, I, I have two decks built that are secretly the exact same deck. Um, both of these decks run 40-plus lands and uh, 30-ish acceleration pieces mm-hmm. for just a, a total of like between 60 and 70 like just dedicated mana cards yeah and these two decks are v2 gazi guild mage gives you an ability in the command zone where you will never you will never not have something to do with a colossal pile of mana yeah and that's, that's often correct. yeah the the things that you can do with a colossal pile well, the last time i saw this deck played i wasn't piloting it uh blake was piloting it but the last time i saw it played he had he cast slime molding to create seventeen seventeen oozes, and then he <laughs> mutated Vulpakeet onto one so that he had seventeen seventeen flying oozes, Ooh. and then he was populating those. That's so fantastic. He he to end the game he attacked with like nine of them because that's <laughs> just a thing you do when you have two hundred power worth of creatures on the board. Why not? Um, 
Yeah, why not? That's fine. Uh, so Vichagazi Guildmage goes hard. The other deck I have that is secretly the exact same deck is Child of the Pack, because it, it also just has four mana, create a body, yeah. and uh, a Loki kind of an anthem sort of thing. So yeah, those are the decks that I would build. I would, well, Those are the decks that I would put in just every single ramp piece conceivably available to you. Okay. I agree. So for my recommendations, I'm going to go down a little, a little bit of a tier, uh, because... I want to know why you don't want to play Tatiova, but since you are not here <laughs> for me to ask you that, I'm just going to Liam ask... Liam has questions. I'm going to ask the question, answer the question, and then give you my response. Okay? So my first question is, why don't you want to play Tatiova? Is it just because of Tatiova? Uh, and if the answer to that is yes, then I would recommend Zimone from Strixhaven. Uh, because mm-hmm. Zimone That's is just one. like a tiny bit weaker Tatiova uh, and does not draw nearly as much hate as Tatiova does as Tatiova does. And I've played the moan in place of Tatiova and have still won a significant portion of those games. It it's pretty gross. So if you want to build the Tatiova deck but don't want to use Tatiova, use the moan. Going down the list yep. of questions, um if you want to play the Tatiova win con of Paragon Drake combo, but don't want to play landfall to get there, I would then recommend Layweaver and Warweaver because this is a combo deck. Uh, its two main win cons would be Drake combo and Freed combo, uh, which we talked about earlier. And it's still a Simic deck. It's still it's going to ramp really hard, but it's it's not looking to utilize a ramp ability in the command zone to game card advantage. It's using to use the command zone as the combo win, if that makes sense. Sure. If you don't want to play Tatiova at all, but you do want to play land, I would recommend uh, Aranus and any background that is legal, uh, because those combos are still new, they're still fresh, and I think that there is some cool stuff to be done there that you could kind of uh, pave the way for. Awkwardly, my favorite Aranus background is the one that's illegal. It's uh, <laughs> Scion of Halister. Mm. I oh, think nice. Green... I think green-black Aranus uh, with all the green-black landfall triggers is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you really like don't know what you want to be doing, I've just got some generic recommendations here for you. Other legends would be uh, Kaga, uh, K-A-G-H-A, and uh, Rulik Mon. They seem really neat for uh, just kind of land stuff in general at the, at the legendary uh, you've asked questions in the past about Legends, which is why I kind of made those specific recommendations. Uh, and when it comes to other non-Legends, I would recommend Marasa, Rootgrazer, and Risen Reef, just being generic mm-hmm. land stuff that also does other things. So both of those decks tend to be pretty mana-hungry and, and require a lot of ramp spells. I agree. It's a nice little ramp list you put there. You got there. I like it. I sort of went for one of my two. I picked two. For this question, for one of them, Dave sort of schooled me on. The first one, it's Targnar, Demon Fang Null. I completely forgot that this even existed until <laughs> like two and a half hours ago. He's uh, weirdly forgettable despite being really cool looking. It's really I... cool. And I was actually a pretty big fan of Pack Tactics, but it's a 2 2 Null with Pack Tactics. You know, when it attacks, if you attack with creatures total six power or greater, all your creatures get, you know, Bushwhacker. They get plus one, plus oh until the end of turn. But if you got all that mana sitting around, for two colorless, a green and a red, you can double Targnar's power and toughness until the end of turn. And that's not just, it doesn't say activate this only once. 
Like you could just do it and do it and do it. I'm, so. I'm about to make you hate Tugna. Uh-oh. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. So, in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, there was this, the whole cycle, 10 uh, two-color uh, uncommon legends, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only one of them to not receive the rulebook alternate art was Tugna. Oh my god. The other nine have an alternate art, and Tugna does not. That figures. That is. That, that must be why I like Tugnar, because so, those rulebook arts are hideous. The, I, well, I agree with that. But <laughs> I, the only reason that I could come up with, and it took uh, my, my friend to point this out to me, is all of the other uncommon legends are people who are considered more mainline characters slash protagonists than antagonists, and Tugnar is not. In addition... Tugnar is the bad guy? <laughs> in addition, Tugnar is a monster, and all of the other characters are human, elves, or half-elves. All right. Uh, okay. okay. And I was like, this reason is dumb. He should have given it an alternate eye. <laughs> it is kind of dumb. He should have got one. Whatever. He's legendary. Good enough for me. I, I do love his art. Like, oh, yeah, his it regular is, I'm fine with him only having one art because his art is based. Yeah. I like I like all of their regular art over their alternates, but yeah. Just just little magic trivia. My other home for all these ramp cards would be just burn out your opponent. Pick Brushfire Elemental, throw it in the command zone. Pick an aggressive landfall, you know, that's that's what you're doing, and just, just try to burn them out before you die. That's what I would do. If you're dropping multiple lands each turn, what better than Brushfire Elemental? They gets like Yeah. Let me look it up real quick. Brush Elemental. I think it gets plus two, plus two for each landfall, and it cannot be blocked by creatures with power two or less, and it has haste. Like okay. Brushfire is aggressive. And it like is very aggressive. I, every time I see Brushfire, I'm like, oh, I bet that card's gonna struggle to close out games. But I like I always forget that it's it's in like fireball color. Yeah. Like, like yeah, after you have ten mana, mana you're just like it's what if I cast Caravex Torch? Yeah. You're like, uh, okay. It's in our big big creature cascade colors. It's in fireball yeah. colors. Like it's in every yeah. Alt- yeah. Altasaur, boarding party, maelstrom yep. classes, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I guess those those cards get really bad if you put a bunch of fireballs in your deck. Yeah, that's uh, true. But, but uh, yeah, you absolutely. Could, if if you could go in one of those two directions for sure. If the elemental's not getting you there, you probably have twice as much mana as everyone else to do something cool with. Good time to have a fireball in your hand. Time to have a fireball. All right, we got one more question to get through. Who wants to take it? I'll take it. So from at Stetson zero five five two nine seven zero two on Twitter. As someone newer to PDH, what is y'all's recommendation to get more players to join me for the, quote, popper party? Popper parties are the best parties. I like Dave's answer. I think he should answer first. Yeah, they should go first. It, in times like this, Stetson 0552-9702, I try to remember the wisdom of the great and revered sage MTG Brad, who tells us, I brought pauper decks to the party, which is the plan. If you want people to play pauper with you, you have to give them the pauper decks. Like last last episode, we took a question about building a battle box. Uh, build a battle box. Build five, four or five or six decks. Like make them all cheap. Make them about power balanced with each other. Showcase a couple different archetypes or strategies, and then just 
pass them out. Show up at your LGS or at your party or at your friend's house and be like, who wants to play Popper with me? Here's the decks you can borrow. And like, once you get people playing with you and like actually seeing what the format is like and what the, what the decks can do, then, then that's your best shot to get them invested enough to start building their own decks. Yeah. I think a lot of people will, will sort of have a lot of preconceived notions about the popper gameplay. They think it's going to be slow and grindy and really unpowerful and uninteresting. But if you can give them a couple games where you can demonstrate that it is none of those things and then get them thinking about, like, you know, tell them you can build any uncommon creature you want. And and there's thousands of options. Say, like, you know, go look up something, like see what you can do with whatever your favorite guild mage is. Right. Like, right. That's that's how you get them hooked. First one's free. Yeah. And I think Popper is a really interesting format in that every magic player is interested in what is going on in Popper, but no one wants to build a paper deck of their own. Yep. If they're not already a Popper player. So you've got to have at least one extra deck to sit around and play with. But yeah, preferably a, a battle box worth or four or five, six, something like that. But yeah, I, I pretty much said the same thing. I think I think Dave an- Dave's answer is the best. Another aspect of the question is if you're trying to build a, a paper slash LGS community, that's just going to take time. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to need the battle box. You're going to need your decks. You're going to need to keep updating your decks so no one feels like they've been left behind or you're not out of touch with what's going on and you're up on the current ban lists and stuff. But you're going to need plenty of decks and you're just going to have to be at the shop all the time. Like... The my LGS popper community started with one guy, and it took about six months for two more people to show up regularly, and then about another eight months for it to be like an actual thing. So it's just gonna take time. Have your decks, hand them out. Somebody walks in, just be like, "Hey, let's play popper." Like, you don't have to wait for them to come find you. Like, search out people. You'll make friends. You'll sit down. You'll have a good time. There, the other aspect of this is trying to build your popper party online digitally through like spell table, that sort of thing. The best way to do it is get into like PDH home bases, discord, look for games, like buy a paper deck or build a paper deck out of what you have and just get in these discords and be like, does anybody need a fourth? Does anybody want to play a one V one game? Like, let's go. I'm ready to do some webcam magic and just roll from there. That's what I got. Good. By you, Liam. I, oh, what's up, Dave? I agree with the uh, online thing. Uh, come join the home base. The, the home base and the tryhards Discord servers are, yeah. are excellent. We, we have the the home base has been dropped off a little bit in the in terms of the games that we're firing regularly because like school just started and so right. a lot of people Holidays are, like, are coming really busy. up. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, historically, we've had good turnouts for people showing up and getting online games firing through spell table or webcam or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were about to ask what Liam thinks yeah, of this question. Liam's take on hosting a popper party. Yeah, I actually am still kind of in the beginning stages of getting people to play. Uh, I, I have done what has been recommended here of, of building a battle box and, and you know introducing the format and, and passing decks around and, and letting people try them out. I've I've done the you know, hey let's talk about what your favorite uncommon creature is or what your favorite guild is what your favorite set is. I've gotten people mm-hmm. to build decks. Sick is getting them to bring them regularly once they've built them. Uh, 
Yeah. Part of that is my fault because I don't always <laughs> go to FNM. So people don't bring their deck regularly because I'm not. So when I do show up, I'm like, hey, you want to play this? But like, I actually didn't bring my deck this time. But it's like, you know, it's part of it is I have to, you know, my, my, uh, my play group has a, a Discord and a, a text chat. So part of it is I just need to let people know when I'm going. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it definitely is, you know, build the battle box, build the balance, you know, play game designer for a minute and, you know, get people interested that way. And then, you know, once the game's over, ask them what they thought, you know, start guiding them in the direction of picking their favorite uncommon legend or creature or whatever. And it really, it, it does, it does take time. It does take time. It, it tends to snowball once you get it rolling. It does. But it does take some time. Yep. And just try to, you know, especially if like the question says, if they're a newer person or newer player to the format, you, you don't have to do like deep dives and research and study and all this, but a, a good understanding of the format will go a long way where if you've got two or three decks and you're trying to get other people to play and this is, you know, you're trying to get Bob to play and Bob's only ever played legacy and you're like, Ooh, come play popper commander. And Bob asks, well, what are your combo decks? And you're like, I don't know. Then you probably lost Bob. Yeah. Like uh, understand the decks that are at your disposal. You don't have to build all, whatever 100 decks or whatever but just understand what's out there we get those questions on twitter all the time like thinking about building pdh i don't know where to start you know and that's that's when you give them options feel them out for what they like to play that sort of thing just like what liam was just saying so yeah know what's out there know what's going on and this shall be a good party if you if you need to entice specifically bob from legacy mm -hmm. just tell him that uh Gitaxian probe is legal yeah Gitaxian probe is legal. <laughs> Isn't <that> crazy? <laughs> oh, whew, I think we got through it all. All right. Two good questions, good topics, good chat. I think we'll move into the outro here. And if you need any more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can email us at the show, as always, at thepdhpod at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to the PDH Home Bases website. That'll take you right to their Discord. You can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. And you can find Dave, as always, as Alcadron, just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. I will put all the links from today's show into the details below, so check those out. And I think this is the... Is this the last episode before the big PDH paper tournament, Liam? This is the last week for the... Uh... Uh, that we have right before the big paper tournament, which I think is Monday-ish, right? 23rd, October Sunday. 23rd is Sunday? Looks like Sunday, okay. yep. Um, yeah, so for those who don't know, we've been uh, advertising it on the last four to five episodes. Uh, it's the Rags to Riches PDH tournament uh, hosted by Dallas uh, Walker Nash, Gilded Adonis on mm -hmm. Twitter, uh, located at Queen and Rook Games in Philadelphia, PA. Uh, it's Sunday, October 23rd, starts at noon local time, which is Eastern, $10 entry fee, up to $350 in prizes if they fill up, and the mm -hmm. top table splits a set of 40k EDH decks. At the end of last week, we weren't quite sure how many slots were left. I did a check. Uh, as of ending recording last week, there were 11 slots left. That was eight days Ooh. ago. So Nice. Yeah, if, they've, if they have sold one slot a day, there should be about three slots left. Uh, so you should sign up for this. They fill up, so they do it yeah, again. So I can go to the next get one. Get in on it. Yeah, that is awesome. 
good on them. Hope they continue this, that, that hope it turns into like a series, you know, a paper series. That'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, as episode 20 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to the aforementioned MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, pick your own staples, and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. See ya. I brought pump protects to the party. Party.